0: So if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll open up to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, we've gone as far as verse 10, and that's where I'm going to begin reading. Matter of fact, we're only going to cover, excuse me, two verses this morning. They're very important verses. I, I pray that you are blessed by them, and it's impactful to you. I know that these are two verses that have spoken to me in my life in a very powerful and wonderful way. So Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament, and I'm going to read verses 10 and 11, and then we're going to go to prayer, and then we'll get into our study. Paul, as, as he's talking about that his righteousness is from God by faith, he then there's the cry of Paul in verse 10, that he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So let's pray. Father, we do ask that at this time that you would take these verses and make it real to us. May we be attentive to um, what the apostle is crying out here. And I pray that it would be our hearts that we would want to know you, the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your sufferings, knowing that you're doing a work in conforming us into your image, the image of Jesus Christ day by day and moment by moment. And, Lord, I pray that uh, we would remember to turn our ringers off our phones. We'd be settled in our seats. We pray you bless the kids as they're in their classrooms, the middle schoolers upstairs, and that you would be glorified and honored in every way as we study your word. And, Lord, we don't do it just for, uh, Lord, in exercise. And we do it because we want to know you. And, Lord, I pray that we would leave this place encouraged and built up in every way. And more in love with you than when we walked in. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think that perhaps you found this to be true. I know that I have as I talk to people every week, whether uh, it's here at church or in the community or uh, perhaps uh, on the radio. And I think that people are more anxious today than ever before. They're more stressed, they're more worried, they're more confused, they're overwhelmed because of the things that are taking place in our modern culture, what's taking place in our communities and in our nation, and it concerns us, doesn't it? And things are changing so quickly. We look around and we think, what's this world coming to? What's our nation coming to? And, and all the voices that are out there, all the things that we see, the images, the lawlessness, the violence, the, the other things that are taking place. And it begins to really bring us down. It brings us to a place where we get discouraged and we get depressed and we get confused. And those are things that that happen to, to us, even as Christians, but particularly those who are there in the world that don't have the Lord. And they're wondering, what's it going to be like for my kids, for my grandchildren? And, and we can feel the same thing. Matter of fact, just talking to a few teachers that teach in the schools at the first service, they said that the kids are more anxious and more overwhelmed and, and, and more uh, anxiety in the kids than ever before. So we see those things. And if there's ever a time for us to, to perhaps feel a sense of helplessness or hopelessness or we wonder is there what's the the world heading to to begin to murmur and complain Paul the Apostle certainly was facing that in his lifetime at this time, that he's putting pen to parchment as he's writing to this church that he's very fond of. And if you've been with us in our study, you know that Paul is chained to a Roman guard. Uh, He is writing to a church about joy and thankfulness. And if you ever thought there was a time for him to complain, it would be this time. Keep in mind, leading up to his uh, Roman imprisonment, this is the first imprisonment, that Paul went through a series of trials as you read the book of Acts. It would lead him to go to Rome a couple years there in Israel, standing before a couple governors, and, and he would appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. They put him on a boat, as you read the book of Acts, and he would go to Rome, but he was shipwrecked. The boat went down, he's washed up on the island of Malta, there he's bitten by a poisonous snake, then he ends up going to Rome, he's waiting to go on trial before the emperor. Now, Paul doesn't know what's going to happen to him as he expressed that in chapter 1. Is he going to be put to death uh, as he'll stand on trial before Nero, or is he going to be released? Now, we look back historically, and we know that Paul would be released. But we also have confidence, even though the Bible doesn't record that Paul's meeting before the emperor, Caesar Nero, We know that he went before Nero because it tells us in the book of Acts, the Lord comes to Paul and says, you're going to be a testimony of me before Caesar Nero. And you know that Paul would witness to Caesar Nero. Now, Paul here in this time of uncertainty, again, he went before Nero. He would be released. And church history tells us that he would then travel. He probably went to Spain. And it would be about that time Caesar Nero narrow rejecting that witness he would then go insane he began to persecute the christians very heavily he burnt the city of rome down and he blamed the christians he would burn the christians at the stake he would you know feed them the lions he tortured many christians and paul is ministering during this time of great uncertainty and persecution it would be about five years later, after Paul was released in his first imprisonment, that Nero gives the order to rearrest Paul. And he's rearrested, he's brought back to Rome, and he's put into Mandarin dungeon, a terrible place, along with Peter. And it would be Paul that would be beheaded by Caesar Nero. And we know that Peter, that he would be crucified upside down, just as the Lord said would happen to him. So these are very, very difficult times. And if you would think that Paul had a reason to really murmur and complain and be confused and be depressed, and all that has taken place, he does not express that. But as he puts pen to parchment here, as he's writing to this church, He's expressing a heart of thankfulness and a heart of joy. And as we open up the chapter, we, as we did last week, Paul's reminding the Christians to rejoice in the Lord. Matter of fact, we see that Paul would write in verse 1 of the chapter, I'm going to keep reminding you of this. It's not tedious for me to do that. Some 19 times in four chapters, he uses that word joy or rejoicing. Peter would say something similar. He said, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you be established in it. And I need to be reminded constantly, In Calvary Chapel, I'm going to remind you that we are to rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in the circumstances. We don't rejoice in the things that we see going on that concern us and bring us down and worry us and all of that. But a Christian always has a reason to rejoice in the Lord who is true and faithful who has given us salvation and hope in his promises. And then we saw that Paul began to address something that was taking away the joy from the believers, and that was the legalists, the Judaizers, that were telling those Gentile Christians that if you really want to be righteous before God and be justified to be saved, then you have to be circumcised, the cutting away of the flesh. And Paul reminds us that those are the true circumcision, as we read in verse 3 of the chapter, is the one that, number one, worships God in the spirit. I pray that we would just worship the Lord in our hearts, just giving a praise to him, have a, a new song in our hearts Every single day, not just when we gather here on Sunday mornings and we have corporate worship, but you be one that you worship the Lord in your heart on a daily basis. He says those of the true circumcision are those who rejoice in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, and he builds on this as we saw last week, that they are ones that have no confidence in the flesh. When you and I are rejoicing in Jesus and what he has done for us in the finished work of the cross, as he cried from that cross, it is finished. That you won't have confidence in the flesh. And so Paul would say that there was a time as he gave his spiritual resume. If anybody had a reason to have confidence in the flesh. I more so than you legalists. And he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was one of the tribe of Benjamin. I was flawless. I was blameless concerning the law. He was talking about that time before he met Christ on that road to Damascus. And he says, in all my religiousness, it's all rubbish. It's dung. And I give that all up to gain Christ, the righteousness of God that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where we end it. And now Paul, as he's writing about that, he he cries out, and this is amazing. He doesn't say, Lord, get me out of here. Or, Lord, change my circumstances. Or, Lord, this isn't fair. And I know that I've had those thoughts before. Lord, why am I going through this? Why this trial? Why this difficulty? But this is a cry of Paul and it's quite amazing. He says, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul just expressing his heart that I may know him, listen, not just know about him intellectually, theologically. There is a difference between knowing the Lord personally and knowing about the Lord. I think for most people, you can say, do you know, you know Jesus? Oh, I know about Jesus. He's a great religious leader. Uh, I love his, the, the Sermon on the Mount. I agree with it. Uh, he was a great teacher and, and leader and all of this, but they don't know him personally. And Paul, at one time, he would study the law. He would study the scriptures. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. You're saying, who's Gamaliel? He's mentioned in the book of Acts as he addresses the religious council that are trying to figure out what are we going to do with these these disciples, these apostles that is filling Jerusalem with the gospel. They said, don't do that. You fill Jerusalem with the gospel. And Peter says, we're going to keep doing it. And they beat the apostles and they put them in prison. They go to Gamaliel. Historically, he was called the beauty of the law. He knew the law so well, and he gives advice to them, to the Sanhedrin. He says, listen, guys, if this is from God, you can't stop it. But Gamaliel, known historically in that way, he tutored Paul personally is what history tells us. And as we see this, he learned, Paul did, all about the Lord. But his prayer at this time was, I want to know the Lord. It's personal, it's intimate, it's close, it's real. It's more than just being religious. It's more than just trying to be blameless according to the law. It's more than being righteous in my own righteousness, but it is by faith in Him and knowing Him. Listen, the most important thing in your Christian life is to know Him. Is to know Him. It's more important than serving Him. Now please don't misunderstand me. Because serving the Lord is very important. But knowing him and continuing to know him, that deep personal relationship and intimacy with the Lord. And in this cry of Paul, we learned that our Christianity is, number one, you can write in your notes, personal. When we get to know somebody, uh, we get to know someone as we spend time with them, as we talk with them, as we converse with them. We get to know their character, their personality, their likes. And to know the Lord, we do it by spending time in his word. That's why we emphasize the teaching of the word of God here at Calvary Chapel, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. In the years that I've been here, we've gone through the entire Bible twice, all 66 books, because it's important for us to be established in the word, to know him, his essence, his nature, his provision, his love for us, his compassion, his goodness and his mercy. And as we know him more, he can't help but have a love for him. It is that love that is in you because he first loved us. Oh, you're so good, Lord. You're so wonderful. Lord, you're so faithful that you would send your son to die for me? And as Jesus took that cross and walked down the narrow streets of Jerusalem to that place of execution... He did it for you because of his love for you. And as we just begin to marvel at that so great a salvation and to know him, you can't help but want to live for him. And I hope that we're understanding that. You see, I talk to some that they really like to talk about theology. And it's important. Don't misunderstand me. And I hope I articulate this well enough. It's important to have good theology to know him. Because there's a lot of voices out there and a lot of weirdness out there and a lot of deception that's out there. But there are those that they love their theology, love to talk about and debate about their theology, but very little is spoken about Jesus. Paul, in his last words to the church, to Timothy, he would say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel which I have suffered for, for I know whom I have believed. He didn't say I know what I have believed. And again, that was important to Paul. But he says, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul was the greatest theologian in church history. He wrote much of the New Testament, but Paul didn't boast in theology. He knew theology and who Jesus was, his deity. When we get done with Philippians, we're going to go into the other prison epistle, Colossians, that talks a lot about Uh, theology his deity uh, because the church was being deceived he knew theologically that he was saved Paul knew that he would be resurrected that he'd be justified and sanctified going to be glorified he knew that Jesus was his propitiation for his sins his advocate all those theological words that we like to use and Paul at the end of his life in his second imprisonment in his final imprisonment that he says my departure is at hand And there's just this peace about him because he writes, I know whom I have believed. He is the one that has saved me. He is the one that has kept me. He is the one that I'm going to see very, very soon. And it was Jesus that would stand on the hillside in Galilee and he would cry out to the multitude and he would say, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I think that there are some here at this service, I know as they pass through the services this morning, that you are saying that in your heart and in your soul, you're just tired. You're heavy laden and the Lord gives an invitation, a personal invitation to you. Come to me and come learn of me and I will give you rest. Yoke yourself to me and you will have peace. You'll have rest in your soul as you go to him personally. It is Jesus, your Lord, who saved you and loves you personally. He's the one that will give you that rest and peace and joy and strength that all of us desire. It's not just a doctrine or a theological position. Again, I want to emphasize what we believe is very important in the knowledge and wisdom of Scripture of the Lord. Paul would make that an emphasis in his life. He said at the end of his life, you must continue in the scriptures. There are going to be those that are going to come along. And they're going to have doctrines of demons. They're going to lead you astray. He gives those warnings. In his letters to the Christians and churches, he makes sure that they're established in truth and we are as well. But what I'm saying is it is not just a bunch of head knowledge. I've known people and I've been there. When I was a young Christian, I'm going to study the scriptures, I'm going to know the scriptures, and I'm going to be able to tell you and argue with you very intelligently my doctrinal position. And there are those today that will do that. They know all the theological stands and positions and all of that, but their hearts can be far from the Lord. You see, remember that in the Gospels, the Pharisees, the religious leaders that came against Jesus, they boasted in knowing the law. They boasted in keeping the most minute details of the law. We are the Pharisees, the dedicated ones, the separated ones. And they would do whatever the scribes would interpret in the law. And we are going to live in that way. And they boasted in their knowledge. But the Lord says, your hearts are far from God. When I was young, one of the things that is I studied the scriptures that I would study and I love to study prophecy in the book of Revelation and I still do today and I love to teach it. And in the book of Revelation, when John was on the island of Patmos on a rocky barren place. He heard the voice of a trumpet and he turns to see the resurrected Lord who said to him, write these things down, the things you have seen, the things which are and the things that will take place after this. 22 chapters of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I've learned something. That that book was written not so we can just get out our charts and dispute the imagery and all of that. And argue, you know, when the rapture is going to happen. Those things, yes. I'll talk theology with anyone. And it's interesting to do that. But I've come to understand something. That book was written to reveal Jesus Christ to us in a greater degree. It reveals his faithfulness. And as John, the last living apostle at the end of the first century, when Domitian was the emperor, Domitian, he also brought a heavy wave of persecution against the Christians. Domitian hated the Christians. He banished John to the island of Patmos. There in Ephesus, history tells us in church tradition, they put him into a pot of boiling oil, and as they do that. The crowd is cheering and nothing happens to John. And so Domitian says, get him out of here. And they banished them to that rocky, barren island. And there's John all by himself. The one whom Jesus loved, who laid his chest against, you know, his head against the chest of Jesus in that upper room. Heard the heartbeat of deity. And I'm sure that perhaps as he's in that rocky, barren, isolated place, he's thinking, Lord, why? At the end of my life. And all of a sudden the Lord reveals to him the apocalypse of Jesus Christ to where he writes and then he takes it to the church that's being heavily persecuted. And he says, listen, know this, that he has a plan for you, that he's on the throne, that he is in control, that he's going to come and take us home to be with him. He's going to usher in this kingdom. We're going to rule and reign with him and we're going to be with him for all eternity. And here is the apostle chained to a Roman guard and he cries out oh that I may know him I want to be known as a good solid Bible teacher and when I come up here I pray Lord I want to be able to give the scriptures intelligently that's important to me I'm held at a stricter judgment and again just studying the word of God giving you the word of God but it doesn't end there I pray that you see in your pastor somebody that, yes, is dedicated to teaching the Word of God, but somebody who loves the Lord. He loves the Lord, and it shows in how I serve you, how I talk with you. I want my wife to say, my husband, he loves the Lord because it shows, and how he ministers to me to our kids to my grandbaby I want my kids to grow up saying dad loved the Lord and it showed in his life and I pray that it would be seen in you that it is real that he lives in your heart so he says oh that I may know him it's personal but second of all the power of his resurrection. So you can write down, it's powerful. Remember about a dozen years before this, Paul would write, in Galatians chapter 2, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In Romans chapter 6, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes and says that you are dead in trespasses and sins. Before you came to Christ, do you realize you were dead? You are alive physically, but spiritually you are dead. Dead men walking, dead women walking, walking around, but spiritually dead. But God, because of his great love has made us alive as we come in faith. You're alive. You have a newness of life. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. And Paul knew that he would be resurrected when his life came to an end. But here I believe he's talking about walking and living in that newness of life. The word power here in verse 10 is where we get our English word dynamite. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that now resides in us believers. The power that raised Jesus from from the dead now works in us. I want that power working in my life. As we are told in Ephesians chapter 3, the prayer of Paul, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, God's power. In my life and in my ministry, I want the power of the Holy Spirit because my flesh is weak. We hear so much from the popular teachers today. The best of you. The champion in you. You know. I am. The devotion. I am strong. I am beautiful. I am this. Listen, I'm weak. I'm frail. That's why I need him. When I'm weak, he makes me strong. I'm frail. I need his power working in me as I desire to live for him and serve him. The power of his resurrection working in the life of a believer is a testimony of the reality of God's salvation, so great a salvation that we have. And then people will see that we are different, that there is a newness of life working in us. A testimony of not only Christ died for my sins and I'm saved, but as a saved believer, I died to sin and I live for him. True freedom is living for the Lord. We're free to live for him, to know him. Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, that's where I like to stop. I'll just be honest with you. To know you, Lord, in the power of your resurrection, and a mighty ministry, and live in that power. But Paul didn't stop there. He kept going. And then he goes on and he says, thirdly, in the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul wants to know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There is a deep level of fellowship that we can have with the Lord when we suffer, suffer for him, suffer in this life. We see it in Paul's life. We see it in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the burning fiery furnace thrown as they're bound up into that furnace, heated up seven times hotter. Nebuchadnezzar, that... The king of Babylon was so angry because they said, we will not bow down to your statue, Nebuchadnezzar. He throws them in the burning, fiery furnace. He looks in and he says, hey, how many guys did we throw in there? Three. Well, there's four, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those three Hebrew young men who refused to compromise, they're in there with Jesus. I don't think they wanted to come out. There's Nebuchadnezzar saying, come out, guys, come out. And they came out and nothing was burned. The only thing that burned were the ropes that had them bound is what the scripture tells us. And there are things that bound us up in our hearts and in our lives. And the Lord desires to have a deep level of fellowship with you. Don't pull away from the Lord. David, he was the sweet psalmist. That he would cry out to the Lord during those difficult times that he went through and we know that in this world we will have tribulation Paul's suffering for Christ even as he's writing from this prison cell he represented the Lord openly and truthfully and then Paul as he would say right before he's beheaded that in the last days it is perilous times we are living in those days he didn't say it might be perilous times he said it will be He borrows that word perilous from Matthew chapter 8 in describing the demoniacs of Gadarene. He's saying it's going to be a very fierce time. It's going to be a very violent time. There's going to be a misdirected love. People are lovers of self. He goes on and he says there are going to be those of corrupt minds and counterfeits. Those who are always pursuing knowledge but never coming to the truth. Evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. And then he says, Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said, The world's going to hate you because a servant isn't above his master. So we're in this world, the world is going to come against us. But we live in a fallen world, and we can suffer and go through trials and difficulties in the circumstances. We go through the pain, we go through the loss. We go through the heartache. And as we go through tribulation, Jesus said, Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And when we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, we know how that works. We can do it with each other. Maybe perhaps that you talk with somebody, a brother or sister, that they have children that are prodigal. And so do you. And there's a closeness that's there because you're fellowshipping, you, you empathize, you sympathize with them. Those of you who are here in the fellowship, when I talk to you about an elderly parent that you're taking care of, that I'm going through the same thing. It's, my mom's in hospice and going through Alzheimer's and, and all that. There's a, a deeper level of fellowship that's there. I, I understand some of what you're going through, not everything because I'm not you, but the Lord does. So you understand how that works as you have fellowship with one another, but it works that way with the Lord because he knows everything and the indication can be or the temptation is when we go through trials that we pull away from the Lord when we should be drawn close to the Lord. I want to read to you very quickly, David and Psalm. I'll just read it to you. But read it, those Psalms of 61, 62, and 63. David's in the wilderness. His son is wanting to lead, did lead a rebellion against him, usurp the throne. David's hiding. He's, he had to flee Jerusalem. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He loves his son, Absalom. The future is uncertain. And David is out there in that dry, barren desert in the circumstances that are hard. And he writes this. "That oh God, you are my God. And early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in a sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. And my lips shall praise you. My lips shall praise you. And thus I will bless you while I live. And I lift up my hands in your name. And my soul shall be satisfied with, as with marrow own fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Not with pouty lips, but with joyful lips. You're going through it, you hurting. Draw close to the Lord. And I guarantee as you do, he's going to show up. And you're going to experience that deep level of fellowship with him. Spring is here. We're going to get some rain this week, but it is going to warm up. So I want to encourage you in these longer days and warmer days that are coming, take a walk. Take a pen and a pad and go and spend some time with the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm really hurting right now. Lord, I'm confused right now. I'm anxious right now. And a desire to praise you and to rejoice in you and draw close to you. There's a deep level of fellowship that's awaiting for you. And then the fourth thing, quickly, in this prayer, not only personal to know him, second of all, powerful and the power of his resurrection, thirdly, Painful, the fellowship of his sufferings, but fourthly practical. And Paul did die to self, and he lived for Christ. He died to self, and he picked up his cross, and he followed Jesus, and the result was the newness of life being conformed from glory to greater glory. And we can read this chapter and we can think Paul lost so much. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He had to make tents to support himself. The persecutions, the beatings, the the trials he's gone through. But listen, understand what he gained in Christ was far greater than what he lost. His relationship was so personal with Jesus. He says that my religiousness, it's garbage. It's rubbish in comparison. And if by any means, verse 11, I may attain to the resurrection, Paul didn't doubt that he would be resurrected, but it was something that he longed for, we know. And I believe that as Paul is keeping this eternal perspective, listen, this is why he had joy unspeakable. Because he looked to the Lord and the eternal values that are found in Christ. And something that I've noticed as I get older You know, it's a blessing. There's nothing wrong with being blessed by the Lord and having things and we work hard. But if you just live for those things, you will never truly be satisfied. Because our satisfaction is in Him. And you were created to know Him and for His good pleasures. And we can use those things that we're blessed in to bless others, to be a good steward of what the Lord has given to us. There's nothing wrong with having things. But don't let those things have you to where you're looking to those things for joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. They'll give it to you temporarily, but you were created to know him. And that's why Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven, not here on earth where it rust, thieves break in. It's all going to burn. We can't take it with us. So live for Christ and look to him. Keep your eyes on the things above, not on just the things of this world. We all have jobs. We all have cares of life. We all have things that we love to do. But may the Lord be the priority of your heart, of your life. And may we cry out, Oh, Lord, may I just want to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings being made conformable to his death. So, Father, we thank you so much for these two verses, so much more we could talk about, but I hope and pray that all of us are understanding to a greater degree that, Lord, it's about you and what you have done, and our joy and rejoicing and peace and strength, it comes from you, truly. We're very grateful for the things that we have in life and the blessings, but the greatest, (laughs) the richest, are those who know you more, who walk with you, who enjoy you. You're in the word, being established in your truth, not being tossed to and fro by every wind of weirdness and doctrine that's out there in the world. the joy unspeakable and a peace that passes understanding comes from you. So may that be our prayer. And if there's anyone you're here, listen, just in the honesty of your heart. Saying, I've been so distracted with other things and other voices and we all can. Say, Lord, I really want to keep my eyes and my heart on you. We're going to see those things. We're going to be informed. We should be informed. But Lord, you are faithful and true. And just as John in those difficult days would come back to a group of people that really needed to know that you're on the throne and you're coming back and eternity is real, we need to know that as well. I do pray, Lord, anyone here watching or listening on the radio later, You never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. He is your salvation. It's not by trying to be good. You will never be good enough. It's not a church that saves you. It is faith in Jesus, realizing that he went to the cross and died for your sins. And he rose again. He's alive. He validated what he did on the cross. And the invitation is always to come. Turn to him. Call out to him. And you can do that right now. If you've never done that, if you're not right with the Lord, listen, tomorrow's promise to any of us. He says, come. Come in faith. And what I've done for you, provide it who I am. And you can pray, Jesus, I now come to you. I confess that I've sinned. And I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me. And you were put into that tomb but you rose again after three days and you're alive. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and the newness of life that I desire to walk in, to know you. Lord, I thank you for bringing me into the family of God. In Jesus' name. For all of us, Lord, that each and every day Rejoicing in you, great things you have done. Amen. You may also-